0: We speak today to Jamie Keach, the Resource Insider uh, newsletter writer. He's a big market commentator on uh, all things mining. We thought it'd be a great idea to catch up with him because he's got some very strong views and stuff. Uh, we we'd caught up a couple of weeks ago. Quite enjoyed our conversation. So today we're going to share with you um, the topics of inefficiencies in the marketplace, corporate structuring, private placements, things that retail investors should avoid. Why Jamie absolutely hates scumbag newsletter writers uh, and how companies should be structured to best protect uh, shareholders and of course, investing in the cult of the personality, another bugbear for Jamie. Do enjoy the podcast. Hey Jamie, how are you doing sir?
1: I'm good Matt, how are you?
0: You're not bad, not bad. Uh, So we caught up a couple of weeks ago, we thought it might be a good idea for us to have a lot of chat online. Welcome to the show.
1: No, I've been looking forward to it. Uh, I was disappointed when you you had camera issues last week and we had to postpone. Oh, I was like sitting here. I was all set up, ready to go, had my mugs ready, and then no you, camera. You don't have the, you don't, <laughs> oh, no, I know
0: you, you don't you don't have the right mug. We're gonna have to send you the the right mug, yeah, ok.
1: Is there like a crux mug maybe that I can some branded? You don't know about the crux mug? We're looking for sponsorship <laughs> for our uh, for our podcast, so, I'm more than happy to hold a Crux mug for a for a, for a reasonable fee. I think that's
0: that's the kind <laughs> of commercial attitude I love. Uh, <laughs> so how how have things been this week? Uh, so are if, if things kind of picking up in Vancouver? I'm hearing people are getting back well, to work. Things
1: are good. Uh, it's only Monday morning. Um, in terms of, I mean, in terms of the market, I mean, my job is to look at private mining deals, private placements, and they've been going ballistic over the last. I don't know what would you say, six to eight weeks or so. Um, in terms of life in Vancouver, things have kind of picked up. It's, I wouldn't say business as usual, but it's getting pretty close. You can go to a restaurant, you can grab a beer. Uh, I'm back in the office most days now, and some of my colleagues are in there, so things are eking back to normal. How about in? How about in the UK? Is uh, it, is yeah, it better, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, restrictive.
0: I think we're one of the worst performing uh, countries in the world when it comes to how we've dealt with COVID-19 for a a multitude of reasons, as as my son would argue with me. But uh, that is nevertheless the case. Um, We're not yet out socializing or visiting other people's homes. We're certainly not inside. We're allowed to wave at them from outside, I think. It's a bit rubbish. Hey, well, Jamie, let's get into this because I'm I'm excited. We we talked a couple of weeks ago. You're obviously very well connected, bright guy. You're a mining engineer. You also run something called uh, Resource Insider. um, People can look at that at resource-insider.com. And you, well, why don't you explain what you do?
1: Yeah. uh, So Resource Insider is what we would call a deal flow service, but it would probably be more typically viewed as a newsletter. I think what what differentiates us from a traditional mining focused newsletter is we're not just here commenting on the market and telling you how great gold is and trying to pump up some company that we're already invested in. We're we're focused on allocating capital into early stage mining deals focused on private placements. So all of our members are accredited investors. Uh, you know what that is. That varies by location by location. But in Canada and the US, it typically means you make over 200 grand a year or you have a million dollars in assets. Uh, this is just a regulation that um, you have to follow here. So, all of our members are accredited investors. I go out, I spend all my time basically looking for private placements to invest my own money in. When I find one I like, I put my own money in it. Uh, my partner on the newsletter, Chris McIntosh, he puts money in it too. And then our investors, or rather our subscribers, they get to come in and invest alongside us at the same price, uh, on the same terms. And we don't take finders fees from companies. We don't get kickbacks or, or any of that bullshit. We're just looking for good deals. Uh, we do charge an annual fee to our members. That's where we make our sort of living capital that gets us through the year and allows us to do the research and sort of keeps the lights on. But you know, most of the money I made last year was from the investments we did. Fantastic. Great summary.
0: Um, and That's kind of interesting because I think most people spend their time rooting around trying to find good companies to put their money into. And that's that's the name of the game. And I think a large portion of our audience, retail, family office, high net worth, they just don't have the skills to do that. Your mining engineer clearly gives you a little bit of a head start. But there are some other fundamental things that people need to look at. We we talked uh, about Maybe we, should, we, maybe we should have a little chat about structuring, structuring issues. Because as an investor, you need to think very clearly what you're about to walk into. And in many instances and more instances than not, uh, companies are structured unfavourably. To retail investors coming in, they're they're kind of slightly skewed towards management. So, should we look at maybe some of the some of the experiences that you have in this space, some of the things that you've seen, and the red flags that you would identify?
1: Yeah. So about two years ago at the Cambridge House conference, I gave this little presentation, and I I wrote it in like an afternoon. Uh, And I was just thinking, like, you know, when I started this out, because I came from a technical background, I didn't come from a finance background, I didn't come as an investor. And when I started out. There was a lot of things I didn't know, and I, I learned a lot of it the hard way. And there were a few things I wish someone had <laughs> taken the time to tell me before I lost a lot of money. Um, and so I titled this talk, How You Got Screwed in 2018. And you can still find it on YouTube. I saw it yesterday. It a lot of the it's things still there. That screwed me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the, the one that really resonated with people, and I got thousands of emails about this, and I didn't expect it, was sort of came down to how a company was structured. And My premise on this is pretty simple. Management teams, company insiders, directors, what have you, should not be able to make, you know, boatloads of money unless they're making their investors money. And that means investors at every stage of the process, whether they're coming in early in the private placements like we do, or whether they're buying in the market. Uh, And that really, I mean, obviously it has to be a good asset. Obviously you have to do what you say you're gonna do, whether it's a discovery or put a mine into production. But a lot of that beyond that, comes down to structure. And a poorly structured company can basically suck every ounce of value out of out of the out of an investment for a retail investor. And when I when I talk about structure, I basically mean who owns what, how so who owns what stock and what price did they get it at? And you know often what we're seeing is, you know, Founders and CEOs and their 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 cronies basically are getting in these seed round financings and they're getting in at a fraction of a penny, a fraction of a penny. So they'll go raise like they'll go raise like a few hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars of them and their friends, line themselves up with min, like, you know, millions of shares. Then they go out to the next round. And that's people often people like me, newsletter writers, influencers, brokers, bankers and they'll say, you know what, we're going to do another round at $0.05. Cents. Why don't you come in? And then they go one kind of step further and they do a $0.10 cent round. But by the time it gets to where a normal person, uh, even a normal person that has access to private placements can get in, it's $0.25, cents, right? So these, these guys that are com- who started early are often getting like a hundred-time lift on their initial investment or like at least a 10-time lift. And they haven't done anything. They haven't, they haven't even listed the company. Maybe they just have an asset that's, they've staked the ground. Maybe they haven't even done that. Maybe they just have an option on some fucking thing in the middle of nowhere. And the company goes public. All of a sudden their stock is worth millions. And, you know, what do you do? If that thing gets cut in half, gets cut by 10 times, they're still making money. And, you know, from their perspective, it's hard to screw it up at that point. You're the guy that goes and buys it on the market. It's almost impossible to make money because you don't have a management team that's aligned with you. You don't have... A team that's kind of working in your interests. I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw a deal just a couple of weeks ago where the management team gave themselves 12 million shares for $9. $9. So like, I don't even know what that is per share. I, like, I haven't done the math on it, but it's a fraction of a penny. And it's like $9. Like, so this stuff happens way more often than one would think. And if you're not cognizant of it, if you're not looking for it, you know, poorly structured company is set up to burn you right from the get-go. You don't even have a chance. But that's the model,
0: isn't it, Jamie? Come on. And, and thus it has been for a long, long time. And 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 I guess here's the other secret. it, it may be of somewhat comfort, but everyone at every stage of the, the different raises that happen from you know, Shell Company through to when we're paying our 25 cents has a different business model. Everyone along that chain has got the ability to screw the next guy along because they're picking it up at a fraction of what the next guy is. I mean, that that's just the name of the game. So how do how do, um, how do you even things out? As a retail investor coming in, If you assume you haven't had access to a private yeah. placement. How do you even this out? Is it just saying, I need to back a team who are prepared to go all the way, and therefore you've got to be able to identify the teams who have got no intention of going all the way? Is, isn't, these are the sorts of things you need to look for. Yeah. On that
1: like in a lot of ways you kind of hit the nail on the head like junior mining in is very literally almost a ponzi scheme in so far that the people coming in at the lower levels are funding the people that came in earlier uh so there's there's basically two ways to play this maybe three so the first is you're well connected and you get in early and you take advantage of this uh you know what we try to do at resource insider to a degree is take advantage of this. We try to be early into the deals. We try to get in at cheaper prices because we're all credit investors. We're, we're able to get access earlier on. And is it fair? I don't know if it's fair, but it it does work. And we, we do take more risk coming into private deals. However, not everybody has that option. So what do you do? If you're not a credit investor, what if you do, you're not wanting to do private placements. Do you want to buy in the market? One, look at what management got in at. So look at, at where they bought their stock. So I used to work for a company called Equinox Gold. Uh, Ross Beatty's the chairman. It's a you know a billion dollar company. did not start out that way. Um, and when we became Equinox Gold, we were actually called Trek prior to that. The current CEO uh, and much of his team came in, Christian Milau, and the price that they brought, bought in at was the same price as the financing going on. It was a $2 dollar. Uh, it was a $2 financing and, you know, I think within a year of that, that share price was down to 90 cents. So they've, they're ripping along today and things are going well. But you know, there was a time when the CEO of the company had put in millions of his own money and had lost, you know, more than half of it. And when you look at that as a, an investor, you can look at that and think, well, shit, like there's a guy that is super aligned to make this thing work, because if he doesn't, you know. Not only is his investors going to lose a lot of money, he's going to lose a lot of money as well. And those things they don't come along very often. But if you can find those those scenarios, that's a, that's a great way. And if you know you bought uh, Equinox at ninety cents, you know I think you'd be up uh, several times now. So and they've had a rollback, so it's not exactly um, congruent to what you'd see on the market. But yeah, it, it would have been a great investment. And I think a lot of that has to do with the structure and the alignment of management. The other thing you do is you can look at these companies that have uh, been beaten down. And I have a friend that does this very, very well. He finds small companies that have basically had their share price depressed for whatever reason, but that ha- are well-funded, have a strong backer behind them and a team with a track record of success. And he invests in them. And that's that's something else you can do in the market. However, I would say the caveat to that is that's getting harder and harder to do today. Uh, for anyone that's kind of watching the the mining space right now, I mean, especially the last week, things have been going. The last sorry, six weeks things have been going ballistic. Uh, you know, there's these companies that, you know, came to me initially for financing. We turned them down because we didn't like the asset or or any number of things, and not only are they over, they basically came back and said, don't worry, we don't need your money anyways. We're oversubscribed, we're up to financing and it doesn't matter what you think. And these are things that would not have even been looked at six months ago and now they're financing at a premium. So it's a bit of a, it's a seller's market today in the mining space. Well, it,
0: well, it is actually. We, we've seen, I better be careful about timing because people can guess, but let, let's say in the next last four weeks we've interviewed um, three companies. Who we looked at, we we have looked at previously. Who are uninvestable, in in our opinion, and they're they're announcing fundraisers. And I'm like, with what? You have not. Fundamentally, you have nothing. So it's it's difficult in times like this because the euphoria, the sentiment, the mood changes, and therefore people think these things are the trajectory is only up. I don't know. Maybe people's. Memories are short-lived, but um, and that's what makes me nervous. Because uh, you know, we, what we try to do is help people. Because someone's going to get left holding the baby, right? Someone's going to be left up there at that price, and it ain't gonna, and it's going to fall rapidly, and, and they're going to be sitting holding shares well under the well under water. So, um, do, do do you think that this uh, period, this mood, is going to change anytime soon? You, you talked about four to six weeks. Gold is high, I know, for, but it doesn't seem—it doesn't seem sustainable.
1: It's a hard question to answer. Uh, I expect a pullback. I do expect a pullback over the summer. You know, we normally see one over the summer, and it's like we've had this initial influx of capital, this like, this real panic buying, I guess, in a way. You've got a pandemic, you've got quantitative easing, you've got riots across the U.S. and I think starting in Europe. And if there's ever been a time where there's more tumult in the world, I mean, I don't think it's happened during my lifetime. Certainly. So, you know, gold is the sort of natural safe haven. And you even got the Ray Dalios of the world saying cash is trash. People need to own gold, things like that. So everyone's kind of piled in. But I think as things calm down, there might, you know, leveler heads might prevail and people might think, ah, you know, wait a second. And maybe time to enter the general market, any number of things. So I think we'll see a pullback. Uh, However, I do think. For investors playing a slightly longer game and thinking one or two years in the future I think gold keeps going up from here uh, I think in a slightly longer version commodities in general are going to be a very loved asset I'm still very bullish on copper and lithium and and all this but I'm taking a, a longer view than the next six months frankly well yeah
0: I mean that well that defines you as an investor um, you know I, I, I think we would probably put ourselves amongst the we have the same same mentality on that for sure. Um, let's let's just talk about, um, just before we get way off the top, topic, because I kind of like where this conversation is going, but I just, I just want to talk about something before we do, which is private placements. You mentioned them a second ago. There are benefits and there are downsides to private placements. What's your take on them? I know you partake, but what's your view?
1: So- I personally love private placements. Uh, that's where I do 90% of my investing. Um, but I will, I'll say that comes from a a world that I understand very well. Uh, you know, I started off as a technical person, but I spent three or four years of my career at in corporate development in Equinox Gold. And you know, in that time, we weren't called Equinox Gold. We started as this little tiny Peruvian Explore Co. and we went from a 20 million dollar market cap to over a billion dollar market cap in three years. And We did that through a series of very aggressive mergers and acquisitions. And I spent most of my day evaluating different projects and and looking at deals. And, you know, we raised money through a series of private placements as well. And I got to see it from the company side. I participated in a lot of these private placements, so I got a lot of experience doing that. So I'm not a trader and, and I don't pretend to be a trader. I'm not very good at calling highs or lows on the market. But what I am good at doing is looking at an asset or a company from a technical and a financial perspective, you know, building models, running through the technical details, going through the NI-43 or JORC reports and getting an understanding of if this project or company is undervalued and what its potential is. And I like private placements because they allow me to enter these deals at what can often be very good terms, you know, it can be at a discount to the market price if it's already trading. It can include warrants, which are always nice to have as they sweeten the deal. Um, but I, I enter these things with a longer-term time frame. I, I typically take a 12 to 18-month time frame on anything I invest in. Some of them, some of them, much longer, <clears throat> and that's not for everyone. Uh, especially, a lot of the deals we do are private. You know, we've had one deal that's been private for almost two years now, and it's it's. Scheduled to go public in the next few months, I was happy to wait for that time. But that's not for everybody. Uh, even the public deals, the private placements into public equities, you know, there's a four-month hold on the stock. Again, I don't buy really anything thinking about selling in the next four months. But some people have a much tighter timeframe, and private placements are not for those people.
0: I think so. You touched on something that is one of the first lessons I learned, certainly when dealing with the Canadian projects, was the four-month hold. It was a problem. It was a real problem because you got a lot of brokers who would buy into this, and you know I think, you know some people don't. understand the Canadian market, you know the brokers, over the big brokers, all run their own P and L, so everyone's got a, again a different model. Even the people sitting at the private placement level, a different model, and uh, some of them would dump the entirety. of oh literally four months in one day into the market and the stock would struggle yeah. to recover for a long time as a result. So it, these are things to be wary of when you're looking at prospectuses and to um, you know, take a look and you know, see if that is a distinct possibility. I personally like management uh, and the brokers to have something more, more like 12 months. It's unusual, but that's what we demand when we walk in if we're putting a a big sum of money down. We're not going to be destroyed by someone's short-term view of the market. Um, So, we we talked about private placements. I think you've got to be lucky enough to be invited in and be in a position to take part in that. So, it is a kind of case of who you know. Generally, most people don't get access to that. and There's not a lot to go around, usually.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, when we first started this service in 2018, it wasn't really like that, actually. Uh, Mining had been beaten up for the last year or so. Uh, and we had people emailing us and basically just begging us to give them money on almost any terms. And we did some great deals during that time. Uh, in the last few months in particular, you know, that's not the case anymore. But we've spent, well, I've spent years sort of building relationships with the management teams that I want to work with. We financed a lot of companies. We have a strong track record of of having investors that I work with, our members that don't do what you just said, which is wait four months in a day blow out all of our stock and hold the warrant uh, and basically bury the company. And we try very, very hard not to be in those sort of deals or to, to do those ourselves. So we've become an appealing choice for uh, a lot of companies that are trying to raise capital with a retail element. I would say <clears throat> our real sweet spot is investing alongside corporates and funds. So when I go into a deal, you know, I rarely want to be the biggest uh, I rarely want our group to have the biggest allocation in that deal. We have made a bit of a business and in investing alongside well-known Royalty companies, uh, funds and private equity firms, as well as some corporate mining companies. Uh, companies that have strong and proven due diligence teams that have the budget and the capacity to spend months on, on doing these deals. Uh, we are you know, a small operation. We are me and one other person that does our due diligence. And you know I can't compete against a private equity firm that has a team of 10 guys and spends six months doing this. So I do the obvious thing and I just make sure I'm investing alongside those people at the same price and I'm piggybacking on the work they do. And we offer a lot of value to companies because especially pre-IPO companies, they need something called distribution. They need a certain number of people in the stock so that they can list, and something we do is we invest. Every member invests in their own account, so we'll often come in with a hundred people, and it solves that distribution problem. So we've kind of become a, a very key part of every financing, and we invest alongside good people, piggyback on their work, and help solve the distribution issues. And kind of we've been, <laughs> we've been winning, you know, taking the gains from that, which has been good. Fantastic, fantastic. Um.
0: I mean, like I said, there's lots of, lots of fun and games out there and it's, it's probably we shouldn't talk too much about ourselves. Um, with regards to, you know, retail and these family office groups, I mean, what's, what's your recommendations to them as they, you know, how they should view the market at the moment? Do you think that a lot of these, well, you said a lot of these people who, well, we both said, who we would not finance, who we did not believe were financeable, but are getting the money. Does that sort of suggest you, that the market is getting overcooked should people be sitting back and waiting? What do you think the prices are still reasonably fair?
1: So I would say uh, that is very much dependent on a case by case basis. So we're doing a financing right now that is dirt cheap, and uh, I'm I'm very pleased with myself for getting this. But but we started and locked in this deal in January, uh, and I locked in the price, and I and it's taken months to put together. But you know we're financing at you know what I would consider about a third of what the price would be if they were financing. If they'd started today, um, and we're doing it in the current market. Fortunately, we kind of acted quick and we locked it in. We've got two other things in the works that will probably come out over the next couple of weeks. Again, they're cheap, uh, but man, like they were hard to find. Like I spent months and months and months looking through basically piles of shit. And you know, I, some of our subscribers said to me they'd send emails and say, "Jamie, you know, everyone's doing something, everyone's financing. Why don't we have a deal?" And you know, I basically I give my stock answer to that, which is, if you don't need me to find you a deal. Like you can find any deal you want, but like you need me to find you a deal that's going to make you money, or at least has a very good chance of making money. And most of what we're seeing is not going to do that. So, I mean, we don't take a shotgun approach. We're very uh, consider it and who we want to invest in. And we're patient to do that. We hit, uh, you know, probably on average, about six or seven deals a year. I, I'd say the max we could get is 10. But, you know, I'd rather have three great deals than 20 mediocre ones any day. And and we we are 100% focused on quality. And if it, if I, if I get 10 great ones, I'll do them. If I get them all in one month, I'll do them all in one month. If I get... You know, one or two and I have to wait six months, I'll wait six months. And that's, that's how our service is designed to be patient and to kind of, to eke out these value. And I think like what I would say to, to answer your question, because I realize I've just been talking around it for the last two minutes is investors who are more generalist investors, be they a family office or a, or a retail investor, I would just recommend know what you don't know. Uh, You know what I mean? Understand the scope of your knowledge and this is something that I think about a lot for myself is that mining is an industry that in my opinion probably has more opacity than almost any other industry in in on earth there is there is a complete limit uh, or there is a there's a gross limit of the information that's available on companies uh, and and that has to do with a couple things I mean, One is just the nature of the business, especially in the exploration stage. Like, there, I can't think of another business in the world where you don't really know what you have, you don't know how much it's going to cost to produce it, and you're not really sure what price you can sell it at. Like, where else do you see that anywhere in the world? So, there's so much uh, ambiguity as as to what the actual product is and what you can sell it at. And then, you know, mining is largely a venture space, and a venture space comes down to raising capital. And any industry where there is opacity and the need to raise capital and the ability to get rich quickly, which there is in mining for better or worse, attracts uh, a certain level of scumbag uh, that you don't see in legitimate, more efficient industries. And, you know, in many ways, the most important skill set to running a junior mining company is being an excellent liar. And it attracts excellent liars to a degree that I have not seen anywhere else. So, know what you don't know. Uh, and if you don't know what you're doing or you don't understand what you're doing, find the people that do and be very, very careful and cognizant of bringing in experts. And I do that as well. You know, I don't exist in a vacuum. I don't, I don't sell myself as the mining guru that can see into every deposit and project. When I look at an epithermal Gold project, I bring in an epithermal Gold geologist to look at that and walk me through that. If it's a porphyry Copper, the same thing. If it's an operating mine, someone that has operated mines in that district, in that region, you know, I rely on, on experts in the field. And this is what every major company does. This is what every uh, you know, serious mining investment PE firm or hedge fund does. There are no, like the idea that there's these gurus that just know everything about every mining project is complete bullshit. And it's sold to people all the time, especially in the newsletter space where I am. Jamie.
0: That's fantastic. I think what, we, what we're going to do in a second is go over to uh, the Crux Club and talk about uh, inefficiencies and informational opacities in the marketplace. Why some, some newsletter writers uh, don't know what they're talking about and are <laughs> to be avoided. Um, and also the investing in the personality of the cult. So uh, for now, for our, our cruxinvestor.com listeners and, and viewers, um, thank you very much. hope you enjoyed the show. And for cruxclub.members members, if you hang around, we'll pick it up from there. Thank you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCats or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.